Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Office Hours Career Paths for PhDs. My name is Dr. Jasmine Goodman, and we have yet another exciting interview planned for you all today. I am eager to welcome Dr. Maurice Washington to the stage. He received his PhD in Agricultural and Biosystems Engineering from Iowa State University. Dr. Washington, how are you? I'm doing good. How's it going? Great. Thank you so much for joining me today. So I just want to be able to just jump right in. So it's not often I just shared this with you earlier. So it's not often that we see black men with PhDs. We know they're out there, but we haven't really seen them highlighted on different forms. So I'm excited to have you here as our second black man that we've interviewed with the PhD. So just kind of talk to me. So you were a student at North Carolina A&T. Mm-hmm. What prompted you to pursue the PhD? Okay, so when I first went to A&T, I was actually uh, an architectural engineer student, but I switched over to agricultural engineering. Uh, the way the, the programs were set up, uh, we were all under like the same umbrella for our foundational courses. Mm-hmm. So one day I was just talking to uh, Dr. Gale, who was my mentor still to this day uh, over in the ag engineering department. He was telling me, like, you will be working with your hands, be dealing with soil and water, uh, things of that nature. So that, that interested me. Uh, so I actually made this switch over to agricultural or biological engineering from architectural uh, engineering. Uh, at the time, I, I just felt like architectural engineers kind of came a dime a dozen, so to speak. Uh, and there weren't a lot of folks, a lot of African-Americans in agricultural uh, engineering. Uh, I know... You said it was, I was architectural. I'm actually an agricultural engineer, but, uh, yeah, but, uh, talking to Dr. Gale, uh, and talking to a few other students over in an apartment kind of made me switch to, uh, agricultural engineering. So at A&T, uh, in the program, uh, graduated 2009, uh, you know, that was the time of the economic downturn. So I was like, Hmm. I can go on a job market or I can go get my master's. And I was like, well, if I go get my master's, I'll probably be a bit more marketable, have more knowledge base. So I was like, you know what? Let me just go to, uh, let me just, let me just go get my master's in ag engineering. So my department head at A&T, Dr. Shabazi, he was actually an alumni of Penn State University. Okay. So uh, met some folks up at Penn State, did a visit. Uh, and they paid for it. I was like, I'm going to go, you know, mm-hmm. so uh ended up going to Penn State. Uh, and I did some research on like uh, antibiotics and composting and trying to uh, get rid of the or lower the level of the antibiotics before land application because uh, there's a lot of antibiotic resistance uh, right now or currently. So did that work. And at Penn State, they was like, hey, do you want to do your PhD? I was like, sure. So all I did was sign a piece of paper. And I was basically in the PhD program. Uh, they had a, a scholarship program called the Budden Waller Scholars Program, I believe. So I was I was initially in that uh, program while I was still finishing up my master's degree. But I started taking one or two courses for, towards my PhD. But then uh, I talked to my PhD uh, advisor at Penn State, 
Dr. Uh, Hamlet, who was from Iowa, and he actually went to Iowa State. So I was just talking to him about Iowa State, and I happened to go down to A&T that same year to do a graduate recruitment fair. Okay. I was like, okay, I'm here at Penn State. You know, I'm in I'm in the PhD program to sign a paper, whatever. Uh, so let me just let me go just shop around, see what's going on. So I went to the Iowa State table, and uh, there was another Aggie at the table, uh, Dr. Derek Cobble, who is a professor of animal science at ANC right now. Mm-hmm. So we was, you know, chatting it up, you know, talking about Iowa State. So, you know, I filled out my little information card, submitted it, didn't think anything else about it. Then I got a phone call from my PI, my co-PI, Dr. Michelle Sapir, in the Ag and Biosystems Engineering Department at Iowa State. So uh, she asked me if I wanted to visit, if I was still interested. And I said, yes. So I went out there. Uh, it was cold. Never been to Iowa. I mean, who goes to Iowa, you know? No uh, offense to those who are from Iowa that are watching, but you know that's his experience. Uh, okay, <laughs> it is what it is. But uh, went went to went to visit the campus, and uh, you know they offered, and you know wrote a wrote my statement, you know, and everything, uh, and what I did, and what I tell other students, I was like, you know, when you're looking at PWIs, they usually have some type of DEI mission statement you know, whatever they have. So I was, I looked at that statement where, wherever their five to 10 year plan was, I was like, okay, I can use this in my statement. How can I meet this goal or how can I help them achieve this? So I did that, uh, got the offer to go, go to Iowa State. And actually I was co- co-advised, my advisor, my co-advisor was Dr. Tom Mormon. He worked for uh, USDA ARS, which is the Ag Research Service. So he uh, and Dr. Sapir were my co-advisors. So that that's what really, uh, I guess, uh, got my attention to go to Iowa State because I had the ability to work in a USDA lab. Uh, so after I graduated, I see Penn State with my master's officially like August 2020. Mm-hmm. Probably the next day, hit the road with my car in a U-Haul with my mother and we traveled all the way, uh, you know, to Ames, Iowa, and I was at Iowa State, so. What was that experience like? So, you know, master's to PhD, that can be a big leap, especially if you're at different institutions. So mm-hmm. what was your experience like in your doctoral program? So even before that, going from North Carolina a which is HBCU, going to Penn State, which is a large research one institution, uh, it was, it was a, yeah, it was, uh, it was a bit of a shock because just like 40,000 students last time I checked at University Park, uh, about 10,000 maybe graduate students. So, uh, just the adjustment to being in, uh, a larger university or predominant white institution, uh, and, uh, it was. It didn't really have that maternal environment like mm-hmm. A&T did. Uh, like, for instance, my mentor A&T, like, he would get on me about certain stuff. They don't care about that at Penn State yeah. or, or larger schools like that. Like, don't get me wrong. There were uh, we. One thing I did like about Penn State was there was a multicultural director mm-hmm. uh, in each college. Uh, 
and a multicultural director. Her name is Dr. Randy Cogleton now. She has a PhD now, but she helped me out big time. And there was a big HBCU community at Penn State. Okay. So there were a lot of students from uh, Alcorn State, uh, Jackson State, and then a couple from A&T. So we had that community, but it was still an adjustment period. Uh, but I felt like A&T prepared me big time for uh, for Penn State. Like I had research experience being at A&T, but it was still another it was another level at Penn State just with the the amount of resources that they had. Uh, so that was uh, a benefit. And then uh, just meeting different uh, faculty members, like one of the administration uh, people, uh, they actually went to A&T. Back in the day, like in the 70s, Dr. Blaney uh, Bowen, he was friends with my advisor uh, or my mentor, Dr. Gale. So I did have that connection. Then I had some other connections at Penn State that kind of helped me uh, through the program. But uh, at Penn State, I really learned about what battles to fight Mm. uh, when it comes to your academic uh, career. And I learned that from one of the deans in the graduate college so i you know i had those tools i always say that that the master's program is like a proving ground uh it it prepares you if you want to go for the phd it it kind of gives you a sample of what that might be so when i went to iowa state i was kind of like already prepped and ready for you know what to expect because I had been to Penn State. I had participated in the Black Graduate Student Association and all that stuff and uh, and had done some research. So I kind of knew what to expect and how to balance the classes uh, with your research and the, the grading system. Because when I was at a t we didn't have the plus minus system like an A oh, was yeah. an A, a B was a B. Mm-hmm. So that took a little adjustment uh, time for me. But when I made it to Iowa State, I was kind of like, OK, I know what to do. Uh, not saying everything went perfect because it didn't, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was it was a a smoother road so to speak uh, at Iowa State. But Iowa State didn't have the diversity that Penn State has because Penn State you got Philly, you got Pittsburgh, you got DC, yeah. you got the tri-state areas right there. Mm-hmm. Iowa State was a totally different beast, uh, even weather-wise. Uh, okay. Very flat, very windy. Blizzard conditions, uh, snow, just because it snows doesn't mean you're not going to class. Like they might have delayed class one time when I was there. Uh, so you have to learn to navigate through the buildings, mm-hmm. you know, to stay warm, to get to where you, uh, you know, where you need to be. But uh, just Iowa State culturally was a different beast, so to speak. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just different. Yeah. Now, when you went into the program, what... Mm-hmm were you wanting to pursue in terms of your career? Uh, That's a good question. Uh, To be honest, I don't know. Like, I just, I was like, hey, like, I didn't know because my mentor, Dr. Gale, was like the first African-American to get his PhD in ag engineering from NC State. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna do this master's. I was like, okay. He inspired me to get my PhD. So I was like, okay, with a PhD, it can pigeonhole you. But at the time I was like, okay, I'm gonna go in, I'm gonna get my PhD in ag and biosystems engineering. Uh, Maybe 
apply for a government gig, you know, with maybe USDA or something like that, or maybe a consulting firm or anything like that. And then initially, I was actually trying to do a double kind of major program. So PhD in ag engineering and PhD in environmental sciences. But um, that didn't did not occur. Uh, <laughs> Y'all see my yeah. face? I'm like a double what? Okay. Yeah, that that didn't occur because there was a lot of overlap with some of the coursework. So I was like, oh, okay, I can do that. It can make me more marketable. But as things went on, I was like, nah, let me just cut my losses and focus on one thing. So that's yeah. what I did. Yeah. Okay. At what point did your career goal begin to take shape? Probably. That uh, I was say in twenty twenty twelve summer twenty twelve. So I'm taking courses. Uh, you know, I'm doing research on antibiotics again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe once I got more into my research uh-huh. and I started going to different conferences. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you would meet people from different government agencies like USGS. Oh, Maurice, we like your research. We like what you're doing. You know, come, you know, check us out and different, different things like that. So my research kind of uh, kind of uh, kind of like scope kind of the things I was looking at job wise. Okay. So, again, it was more like, OK, I'm working. I'm doing uh, water quality sampling. I'm doing sediment sampling. I'm doing manure sampling. I'm do, doing uh, physiochemical uh, lab uh, experiments, looking at half-life, looking at the fate of antibiotics and of the pesticides, mm-hmm. looking at how they absorb, desorb from different soils, uh, looking at how to extract them from the soils and manure and things like that. So I'm getting all this lab experience. So I'm like, hey, you know, I'm working in a USDA lab. So, hey, I can probably apply for some USDA jobs. I could, uh, again, maybe go into the private sector uh, or maybe some type of administrative uh, nonprofit program where they're looking at environmental stuff. So that was kind of my focus. Uh, And I would say probably 20, I graduated in 2017. So 2016, you know, I'm trying to finish up. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do that. I'm trying to be active on campus because you need to have that balance. So one thing I did was I started uh, this black and brown men's empowerment symposium. Okay. Uh, because when I know this is a little off topic, but well, no. yeah. Uh, yeah. when I was, when I was on campus, uh, some of my other colleagues who were black male PhDs, we saw a disconnect between the uh, African-American undergrads and then the graduate undergrads. Uh, maybe maybe it was ge- generational, but uh, there was a disconnect that we saw. Like, for instance, let's say we're walking on campus, and, you know, we get like a head nod, you know, what's up? They might not say anything or they might act like they don't see us. So then we would, sh- we would show up to their uh, their undergraduate black organization meetings and, you know, and point out like, hey, you know, we're a community like you might be going through something. But, you know, if we acknowledge you, acknowledge us, you know, because it's not a lot of us here. Right. Uh, I was probably, I was one of three African-Americans in my program. Wow. Uh, one of three. So it wasn't a lot of us in my, in my department, period. So 
like, you know, we need to be community, you know, we need to help each other out. So I was like, you know what, let me try to put together a symposium to try to give, uh, you know, the black male students tools that they'll need to uh, not only just get to Iowa State, but how can you stay here? Because you do, a, you know, a lot of these PWIs recruit, 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 but they're not retaining. Yeah. So did that uh, that uh, symposium had like a seminar on uh, on like uh, financial literacy and different mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, so I, I was trying to, you know, have a balance of taking care of my classwork, doing research, but also giving back. Because a lot of us were so tunnel vision, tunnel vision, tunnel vision, yeah. but you have to be able to give back and help others, you know, get to the school, but also leave with what you came came here to get, which was your degree. Yeah. So uh, that was a couple of things, some some of the things I was doing while I was on campus. So. No, that's awesome. And so with you being intentional about reaching out to undergraduates, had you thought about staying in the academy at all? No. No. No, 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 no. You no. might be the first person that said no. Nah. <laughs> never. Because I never, to be blunt, the academy wasn't built for us. Mm, okay. It just, it just wasn't built for us. So, uh, you know, just with that in mind, just interactions with, uh, with faculty, with administration, because we had a lot of stuff go down at Iowa State, and just okay. a lot of stuff like we okay. were protesting and. Oh, okay, got you it. You know, and even even like, and my advisor said, Maurice, you're a good teacher. Like, I always say that research, doing research, is teaching mm-hmm. because I always had like undergrads to help me like process samples. So I'm actually showing them how to do the extractions, how to uh, sample properly the samples in the field and stuff like that. So I was, I'm, you know, teaching, I like teaching. That's not an issue. It's just the research component. It just wasn't for me. I'm more of a application type of person, but okay. when you look at PWIs and you look at HBCUs, always call it a brain drain. Mm, okay. Let's get so into you have a lot of faculty members, there might be some type of MOU between like a PWI and that faculty member is going to the PWI, you know, training, getting some additional training, but that PWI faculty member is not going back to the HBCU to do the same thing. Or if you think about it, most HBCUs, and this is an equity thing and not having duplicate programs, depending on what state you're in, they don't have those advanced degrees. If A&T had a master's in ag engineering when I was there, I would have stayed at A&T. Got it. So you have students that leave A&T or HBCU, go to a PWI for their master's or PhD, and then that's it. Okay. So one of my ultimate goals is eventually I want to go back to A&T. I was going to ask. Okay. So eventually, but there, you know, HBCUs, we have our issues, uh, you know, in regard to uh, pay as far as faculty members and things like that. Uh, but uh, I've always been critical of the brain drain that happens at HBCUs and and that in that inhibits, I think, some of our programs uh, like A&T was the first 
HBCU to be accredited with an ag engineering program. FAMU was the second, you know. Okay. My program at A&T, we graduate a lot of PhD, you know, so um, I'm always fighting that, hey, we need to give back. So I do that by recruiting, uh, you know, uh, you know, sending out different internship opportunities and stuff like that. But I'm very critical of the brain drain. But to get back to academia is is it's not for me. Uh, if I could be an adjunct right now, I care more about the teaching and then uh, than the research. Yeah. Uh, so in agriculture, we have something called ag extension, where you you're more applying the skill sets to actually do stuff in the field and things of that nature. So I would probably be more ag extension, doing more applicable work than uh, uh, you know, theoretical research, so to speak, but academia is just, it's a business, you know, it's, it's politics mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm a straight shooter. So I really don't. Yeah. Yeah. I just, okay. I guess I haven't built my, uh, my effective communication skills yeah. in the academic realm to kind of deal with that. Cause it's, it's, it's a lot yeah. right now. So. Yeah, there's a lot that goes on. Academia is already political anyway. And then mm -hmm. if you're at an institution that culturally is not, if you're not, a, if your culture isn't a part of the mainstream within the institution, there can be so many other issues. So um, I hate that because I feel like students can learn so much from scholars or from applied scholars who are also teaching because you're on the front lines doing the work. So Hopefully you will get back to A and T one day. Um, we won't see any reports about you knucking and bucking down there. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, so once you defend your dissertation, what's next for you? Oof. And this is like six years ago, so I'm trying to remember. Okay. Uh, let's see. I defended my uh, dissertation, and <laughs> my friends joke about it, but. Uh, they were like, Maurice, your dissertation defense was so long. And it was long because I had like three, like three projects. And I'm not a, like, I'm not an expert in statistics. Mm -hmm. So I actually had a statistician on my committee. So okay. typically we have one, two, three. Typically we have five committee members. I had six. Okay. I had a statistician. I was like, I need, I need the help. Uh -huh. So part of my research uh, in water quality, let me give you an example. Sometimes you collect a sample, you analyze the sample, and you get uh, a measurement of a non-detect or a, yeah, let's say it's a non-detect. Mm -hmm. So what do you do with that data point? So you usually get a non-detect uh, because your uh, your analytical equipment might not be uh, sensitive enough okay. to detect what's in there mm -hmm. because if if nothing was in there it would say zero mm -hmm. but it's saying a non-detect so how do we deal with that statistically so I worked with the statistician we came up with a method uh, to deal with these sensor data points because if you have all those sensor data points and you don't analyze them correctly it's going to skew your statistics so it i gave like i broke it down so the, anybody could understand my statistical analysis so that's why it took me a little bit longer but they were like maurice we understand how to deal with sensor data points now 
and things like that. So after I got out and they said that I, I passed, I cried because, I mean, it's a lot to deal with. So yeah. uh, then after that, you know, you have your corrections you have to make. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by this time, I'm, I'm running on fumes. Like I'm sitting in my apartment, waking up, just edits. Yeah. Getting everything together. Uh, so uh, did the edits and everything. And there was a, a an agricultural engineering uh, consulting firm in the D.C. area. Uh, so I was in, in talks with them and they wanted me to come out and do a talk. So flew home, did the talk with them, uh, presented my research because I was applying for a position because I was working with antibiotics and pesticides and they needed someone in that particular position. So I did the interview. I thought it went well, but nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Did they ghost you or you just didn't get the job? I don't think they ghosted me. Okay, that's a a while ago. Oh, no, I have have stories about that too. But but yeah, uh, I didn't get it. So I was like, man. So then... I pack up all my stuff and I go home. I go back to Maryland. Uh, and so that was, I made it back home like July, 2017. So from July, 2017 to December, 2017, I'm applying for jobs like crazy. Uh, I'm changing my resume around. I'm changing my CV around. I'm doing different uh, cover letters. Uh, I applied to so many different jobs and it, it, it really pissed me off because there seems to be, there doesn't seem to be customer service anymore or just good communication because mm-hmm. I would apply for a job maybe a month or two and you kind of get a feeling. I call the specific company, whatever, and, uh, and they'll be like, you know, we're still considering. And then I go back. Oh, you, we've gone with another, like, don't waste my time. Just let me know. Uh, I think I probably applied to over 30 or 40 different positions. Uh, and, and, and the issue is as a PhD, you're kind of pigeonholed because you have a certain expertise. So when you're applying with certain jobs, they buy, oh, it's the PhD. Uh, you're probably not going to want to pay this person that much or, their expertise might be too specific. So that's why I was changing around my resume to try to fit for what they were looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was unsuccessful. Um, I was like, man, I got to pay the bills. I got to do something. Mm-hmm. So I became a substitute teacher yeah. uh, for PG County Schools. Um, and I was doing math and science. So uh, I think I was at I was at two or three schools. Uh, and I did that for a while. Uh, that was a culture shock. Uh, just so I uh, want to jump in here. So mentally, what was happening with you at that time? So you <sighs> defended, you have this long defense, you get it done, you make the edits, you are applying for all the jobs. Where were you mentally at this point? I mean, I didn't have anything left in the tank after the PhD. Uh, they always say that uh, you come out different from in which you came in. And that could be a negative or a positive thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
for me, I think it made me more resilient to a certain point. But at the same time, when you get denied, 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 it's like, man, like what, what's going on? What am I going to do? Right. Uh, so I was like, hey, I got bills to pay. Like, I got to do something. So like I said, I was a substitute teacher. Uh, I taught math and which really helped me out because I'm teaching like algebra. So it's like I haven't touched this in a long time. So I'm relearning and I'm able to, you know, help the students out and things of that nature. Uh, so I think I applied to be a substitute teacher in December. Uh, and before that, I applied for a position I was like, you know what, let me just look at, instead of looking at federal positions, because US, USA jobs, that's a... Uh, I've heard. Yeah. It can so be a nightmare. Like, yeah, so I was like, let me look at different state municipalities and different state uh, government jobs. I was like, hmm, let me look at California. Like, like I don't ever see myself in California. You got the wildfires, you mm. got the smog, you got the drought. I was like, okay, let me apply. So I applied to a position for the State Water Resource Control Board, which is under Calif- the California EPA. Mm-hmm. There was two positions, I think one was in Oakland and one, one was in Sonoma. I applied to the one in Sonoma County. Uh, and then I, I had to like take a test to see where I ranked, see if I qualified for uh, applying for that particular job. It was a water resource control engineer position. Mm-hmm. So did a test, passed, whatever. Didn't think anything about it. So I'm um, substitute teacher. I catch the flu. I haven't been around kids like that. So I'm out for like three or four weeks. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have no insurance, uh, you know, because when you're, when you're a PhD student in grad school, you have insurance. Yeah. Uh, I have no insurance. I'm paying out of pocket to get medicine. And it was it was a bad I was down and out like this physically. Mentally, I was I was okay, but just just being hit by the flu was ugh, yeah. So, see, and if I could just jump in here quickly because that has to be frustrating that you pursued the PhD initially to have better job outcomes, only mm-hmm. to graduate and not have the job outcomes right away. What were some of the conversations like with your mentors at that time? To be honest, I I don't remember reaching out to them like that. I like, I, I just don't, I, I just, okay. I just remember just applying, just applying. Now there were a few positions that I did apply for that I asked for recommendations and they did that, but I didn't sit down and just have a comment like, Hey, I need help. Cause I figured like they've given me all the tools that I need. So uh, just, okay. just rely on those skills. And if I need to reach out, they were available, but I just figured, Hey, I can, I'll figure it out. You know, because it's not like you get your Ph.D. Oh, you have 10 job offers and oh, you pick what you want. And no, there's a limited amount of positions, even especially in academia You know, when you have your Ph.D. So imagine going into the private sector or, you know, state or local government uh, with a Ph.D. It's a bit different. Uh, So teaching, get sick, dealing with that, dealing with. a different generation of kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was interesting. So come March, April, May, May of 2018. No, April. 
late April, I believe, I get a phone call. Like, hey, Maurice, you know, we want to interview you for the uh, water resource control engineer job in Sonoma County. It's like, okay, finally, you know, perfect. Uh-huh. So, so I interview, you know, they like everything. They offer me the job in May. June 3rd, June 4th was the start day, I think. Mm-hmm. I got on a plane. Well, first I had to find an apartment. So I had to find an apartment. I got on a plane with a uh, with a pillow, a blanket, and two bags. And I got there that Sunday. The job started on that Monday. Wow. That's fast. So you went from not hearing back, interview, offer, plane, first day, like right. That's okay. Okay. Now, what about that? What were your first couple of weeks like in that job? I was the only African American (laughs) in the in the office. It was it was actually okay for me. It was just more adjusting to California itself. Okay. I didn't think I'd ever be out here. So it, that that was more of an adjustment and then getting more of my stuff out here because I just I was like, I just hit it. Like I was like, hey, this is this is an opportunity and nothing else is biting. You got to do what you have to do. So that's why I just I hopped on a plane and got there. And there was like and with these state, sometimes with these state jobs, there's no nego- there was no negotiation. I don't remember what my initial salary was, but it was decent. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Again, I came out here in California. California is expensive, but uh, my first couple of weeks were good. I, I mean, I didn't have any issue uh, issues at all. It was just, you know, your standard onboarding process, you know, your tax information and different stuff like that. So, you know, it was pretty good. So I, I worked for uh, the State Water Resource Control Board for one of their local water boards. I work for the North Coast Regional Water Quality Control Board as a water resource control engineer in the cannabis regulatory uh, department. So tell me, what does that work entail? What's your role? How do all mm-hmm. of these things work together? Yeah, so, uh, you know, I have the agriculture, agricultural background, the water resource background. So the whole premise of that position is Calif- in California, uh, growing marijuana is legal. Uh, but well, and the area I was in, or I'm in now still, uh, like Sonoma County, Mendocino County, Humboldt County, uh, in that area is called the Green Triangle. Like it's known for growing marijuana. So oh. if you were legally growing, uh, you have to get different state permits. One of the permits was from the water board. So we were basically making sure that they weren't polluting the waterways. Mm. Uh, when they were growing uh, uh, marijuana. So they weren't using any illegal pesticides or anything like that. They weren't uh, moving a lot of sediment and soil and that wasn't being discharged into our waterways. So that was the premise of the job. So if they wanted to do any in-stream work, uh, they had to apply for a 401 permit. Uh, There was different site management plans that I had to review. So I was able to get a lot of regulatory experience dealing with the state because if you do anything in the state of california involving water for the most part you have to deal with the water board so i was able to accumulate that regulatory experience which which was big time i was able to talk to different stakeholders whether it was private 
whether it was county level, state level, or the federal level uh, within my job. So I, I, I enjoyed it. I learned a lot. Uh, but it, it was good. And I also had the opportunity to work on other agricultural projects. So I was able to use my skill set a bit more uh, than normal, uh, working on a couple of different agricultural projects in in the North Coast region. So, yeah. Okay. And so I saw in your bio that you also spent time as an agricultural technical consultant. Tell yeah. me about that work. Was that so, you in a consulting role as in freelance or that was your title for a company? It was a title for a company. So after the water board, I was looking for more, more experience. I was looking for specifically more agricultural experience. So mm-hmm. I work for a company called Layden USA. Uh, they are an R&D tax credit company. So basically, if you're doing any R&D, whatever, and there's certain expenses that you have, you can recoup that with uh, what we call the R&D tax credit. And yeah. if, I'm, if I remember correctly, <laughs> the R&D tax credit was basically an incentive from the government to increase manufacturing <clears throat> and research here abroad. Uh, so I would work with, I was an ag tech consultant, so I would work with all the agricultural uh, customers. So if they were in cannabis, uh, if they were uh, maybe doing in an analytical lab, doing some ag stuff, I would do all the, I would talk to them about, you know, what we offer and what we could offer them and kind of break it down on the ag side. So they understood and also that my so that my uh, colleagues understood as well. Okay. Now that brings us to your current role. Tell us mm-hmm. um, just more about the work that you're doing today. And I don't want to mispronounce the family estates name. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I am the agricultural water resource engineer for Trincaro Family Estates. Uh, Trincaro Family Estates is the second largest family-owned winery in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Uh, some of our brands that are home, uh, Menage Trois, uh, Ziada, uh, TNV, it's like over 50 something brands. So, so for everyone that's watching, you see his background makes more sense now. So this is not just him at some office job, you know, completely unrelated. This is all attached to the work that he does today. So tell us more about just a day in the life of your, okay. your current role. So that. That regulatory experience that I got with the water board comes in handy because we deal with the water board. So uh, I work in the vineyard department, so I do a lot of our annual uh, reporting for water use. So out in California or in California, the water laws are a lot different uh, than back east. So you either have what we call a riparian right or a procreative right. So that right tells you when you can pump the water, use the water, so your diversion season, and it tells you how much water on that water right you're able to use in a season. Uh, so I help with all the annual water reporting. I help with our telemetry that we have on our flow meters to measure uh, our water use. Uh, so I make sure that is working uh, correctly and we're getting the data in real time. I also help maintain our vineyard water infrastructure. So our wells, our flow meters, our telemetry, our reservoirs. Uh, and then I help with any type of ag engineering, uh, soil water engineering, anything with my foundational skill set. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. in ag that I can use to help the vineyard department. Uh, that's what I do. Uh, and it's funny because I was looking to pivot. You know, I would walk outside and see a vineyard there, see a vineyard there. I was like, I don't have viticulture experience or vineyard experience, but I have that foundational knowledge base. So I actually attended a virtual job fair called Be the Change Job Fair. And it's a job fair for people of color who are interested in uh, the beverage industry. So uh, I did that job fair and I actually uh, talked to Trincaro Family Estates and I talked to uh, Constellation, which is another big company, and then also talked to E&J Gallo. Uh, Constellation, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly, uh, had a real good conversation with him. The guy wanted me to apply for a vineyard manager position. I'm mm-hmm. like, mm, I'm not comfortable with that. I don't. Mm-mm. So uh, talking to Trincaro Family Estates, you know, told him what I was looking for, you know, where I could help them out. And they actually made this position for me. Nice. Uh, they made the position for me. So, like I said, I help with a lot of the regulatory, a lot of the irrigation stuff we do out here, uh, water conservation, all anything related to ag water and the vineyards. That's why I work on it. That's what I do. Now, thinking back to when you were a student at A&T, would you have ever imagined yourself doing the type of work that you're doing now? Uh I couldn't even think that far in the future, <laughs> to be honest. I was just focused on those classes, uh-huh. trying to make it mm-hmm. to the next semester. Uh, but I knew it would be something related to agriculture. I didn't know it would be the wine industry. So. And I'm even curious, what what piqued your interest initially about agriculture? Because initially I'm thinking like maybe he's from the deep south and grew up on a farm or something like that. So how did you... How did you get into this as a career interest outside of that initial conversation with your your mentor? Well, my family is from like southern southern Virginia, so okay. just, just south of Richmond, okay. Petersburg, uh, Dinwiddie County. Uh, but we have a homestead there. But I mean, we weren't farming happened a long time ago, like tobacco farming. But mm-hmm. uh, but but just talking to my my mentor, Doctor Gale, he was saying that you would be doing water, you know working with your hands and soil, soil and water. And that interested me. Okay. Uh, you know, just that, that right there did it for me. It, it was more interesting than the architectural engineering stuff that I was learning about, you know. Got it. So. Now, if you could go back and give yourself advice just from any stage of your mm-hmm. academic journey or career journey, what advice would you give a young pre Dr. Maurice Washington? Uh, don't be so set in your ways. Uh, okay. You belong. Mm. Try to get as, as many certifications that you can on their dime. Uh, let's see. Let's go do it. Like just, let's take care of business. Uh, Okay. Yeah. Yes. Now, any advice for young men who are wanting to potentially follow in your footsteps? What are some maybe academic things that you did to prepare yourself for the either the graduate work or the work that you're doing now? So 
So you never stop learning. You're always like I was looking up something today just to, you know, stay up with the times, always learn, always network. Uh, don't be afraid to ask for help if you don't know something. Uh, you know, uh, as an undergraduate student, like I failed several classes. I, I okay, did. let's get into it. We failed classes. <laughs> yes. We I want failed. to hear these stories. We don't want to hear the, you know, we want to get yeah. down into the nitty gritty. Okay. I failed uh, Cal 1, Calculus 1, Physics 1, uh, maybe Cal 2. I had to retake them, but like my mother told me, like, no one said college was going to be easy. Mm. You know, so if this, if you want to be an engineer, certain classes, you got to pass certain things you got to do. So, right. you know, sit in the library, ask for help. I remember after I failed calculus one, I retook it and I was sitting in the professor's office asking for help. Like it was always ingrained in us by my mother, you get the grade you earn. Mm-hmm. So you have to show effort. You yeah. have to show that you're you're willing to ask questions and that you really want it because no one's going to give you anything. Yeah. No one's going to give you anything. You have to want it for yourself. Wherever you want to be, you have to do what you have to do to get there. So uh, that was the, the biggest thing was not giving up and persevering, mm-hmm. doing what I had to do to uh, pass those classes and uh, get to where I am now. And like, I wasn't a fan of my foundational courses, but I love my major courses. So the soil and water engineering, soil physics and stuff like that. So when you look at my resume for undergrad, I had two GPAs. I had my cumulative, which was a bit lower, but my major GPA was higher because I cared more about those major classes not not care, but they had my 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 interest more. They were more interesting than the foundational courses. But you need those foundational courses mm-hmm. to do good in those major classes. So, yeah, and I think that's important too when you talk about getting the help that you need. So I taught higher ed now. I think it's going on eleven years, and mm-hmm. I'm always surprised at the number of students that won't come by office hours that will be struggling. And I'll even you know I'm I'm HBCU through and through, so I'm like, hey. You owe me an assignment. What's going on? And, you know, it's they're just some students aren't that responsive. And so I try to tell them, you know, I'm not here to stop you. I'm here to challenge you, but I'm here as your ally. And so what you just said there about making sure that you get the help that you need. I hope that everyone that listens to this um, really takes hold of that because your professors, most professors are there to help you and to challenge you. Now, there are some that, you know, they their goal is to stop you. But you have to keep your goal in mind and you have to keep, you know, that vision before you instead of, you know, buckling to the pressure of the work. Mm-hmm. Or if you pass, if you don't pass a class and using that as a reason why you shouldn't pursue it, when a lot of times you have to just, you know, push through. And don't get me wrong. There are certain classes designed to filter you out. Mm-hmm. That's just okay. how it is. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's how it is. Uh, and what I tell students now is that just think about this. College is a business, right? So you pay your money. All right. And let's say, let's say something happens and you drop out. Do they give you a refund? No, they do not. So since college is a business, you need to treat yourself as a business person. 
So all your decisions should be business-like. Now, in undergrad, did I uh, go to someone else's homecoming and I had a, a quiz the next day I found out later? Yes. You have to, uh, you know, you got to make, you know, the right decision. You have to treat yourself as a business person because, like I said, you pay your money. You want to get your money's worth uh, because they're going to get paid regardless yeah. whether you get your degree or not. Mm -hmm. So those office hours, your tuition is going towards that. So just use them, you know, don't don't be so prideful that you think you know anything or you don't want to ask for help because if you do that. Third, I think if I'm not mistaken, if you fail a class three times, you can't take it again. Oh, okay. Okay. So that's insanity. Go get help. Go ask yeah. for help. Yeah. And don't waste your parents' money. Don't waste your grandparents' money. Whoever is helping pay for it, even if you got a scholarship, don't waste the scholarship money. Like, yeah. don't do that. Just remember who, remember what's your motivation. Remember who came before you and the sacrifices they made to get you where you are today. Like my, my grandfather had sixth grade education, mm. worked on railroad for 40 years. So he used to be like, get your lesson done. Yeah. So yeah. That was, mm -hmm. that was in the back of my head as well. Like, yeah, you got to get it done. It's like no excuses, you know? Yeah. My great grandma was the same way. And she would say, get your lesson. Like it wasn't even do your schoolwork. It was get your lesson. So Dr. Washington, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been an insightful conversation. If folks want to just, you know, connect with you online, what's the base, best way for them to do that? Let's see. I'm only on LinkedIn. So, okay. uh, so just look up Maurice Washington on LinkedIn. Actually, it's more than one Maurice Washington, okay. but Maurice Washington, uh, TFE, Trincara Family Estates or Ag Engineering. Uh, you can look that up. Uh, and yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you so much for joining and thank you all so much for watching. Make sure that you subscribe and share this video with a PhD that you love.